Expensive guitars are better instruments, right? Well, not exactly. Today's show will give you invaluable perspective on the factors that go into a guitar's price tag, why some are priced absurdly high, and what you should be focusing on as a buyer looking to get a good guitar at a good price. Hey, TAC family, this is episode 273 of the Acoustic Tuesday Show, a show packed full of inspiration and fun designed to help you get more fulfillment, progress, and joy from your acoustic guitar journey. Now, throughout today's episode, I'll be sprinkling in some good acoustic guitar news you can use, which includes the guitar comparison to end all guitar comparisons, a baffling one-man orchestra, and much, much more. Plus, we're going to go back in time a little bit and look at some comments from the My favorite Martin Guitars episode, one of which I'm not even sure I'm going to feature. It's from a guitar snob, and usually I don't shed any light on negative comments, but I might have to for this one. We'll see if I have time. That's all coming up in a little bit, but first, let's look at some of the cost factors, the factors that go into pricing acoustic guitars, and we're going to decide as a group if expensive guitars are worth it. Now, I wish it was that easy. I wish there was just a single thing that separated expensive guitars from cheap guitars, but there's not. There's actually quite a few factors when it comes to the price of an acoustic guitar. And what I want to do is just have a discussion right here, right now on the Acoustic Tuesday show about some of the things that impact the price of acoustic guitars. Because chances are, as an acoustic guitar geek, you've shopped for acoustic guitars before. And you've seen guitars as little as a hundred bucks, and you've seen guitars as much as maybe a hundred thousand dollars or more. So we're talking a wide spectrum of price. So what gives? Is there a sweet spot? Well, again, I wish it was that simple. Let's first look at some of the factors that drive the cost of acoustic guitars, and then we'll kind of look at, well, the moral of the story and what you should be looking for, again, as a buyer looking to get a good guitar at a good price, key statement here for you. Okay, some of the factors that go into pricing acoustic guitars. Some of these are obvious, some of these are less obvious, but I wanted to put them all out there because they're all really important and they all factor into your buying decision. The first factor that goes into the price of an acoustic guitar is brand. Yes, brand recognition. Um, if you look at guitars of similar make and model, say from Gibson to Eastman, you're going to see two very different prices. Now, beyond just brand, there are some other factors here. But if we look at brands, think of the big ones, Martin, Gibson, Taylor, Calling, some of the very big brands, you're going to see that the prices are generally up there for similar models uh, from lesser known builders. Okay, so brand does have an impact. The next factor, and this is a big one, materials. This one is, is probably obvious, but I just jotted down some notes here. Uh, the top, the back, the sides, what kind of tuners are used? What kind of finish is applied to the guitar? I mean, you have all sorts of different factors that go into how the guitar is priced. You know, you could be looking at a guitar with mahogany back and sides. You could be looking at three different guitars with mahogany back and sides. One has Sapelli, which is a very mahogany-like hardwood. Then you have true, say, Honduran mahogany. And then you have something like the tree. Okay, those are all quote-unquote mahogany guitars. However, 
because of the type of materials, you're looking at three very different price categories. So, when you're looking at the price of a guitar, see what kind of tuners are on it. Are they kind of cheaper no-name tuners or are they Waverly's? See what the top sides and back are made out of. That all factors into the price. Now, obviously, obviously, this is an obvious factor, but it's one that I think is very important because this is what I wish I knew as a new guitar buyer. You know, when I was first looking at quote-unquote professional-grade guitars, whatever that means, um, I didn't really know the difference in price. I would look at two guitars and think, well, those are the same. Why are they so different? And I just wanted to lay it out there that materials have an enormous impact, an enormous impact on the price, especially with wood prices going up as of late. Okay, the next factor, craftsmanship. This is a big one. This is a big one. And, and you know, I think this all registered for me when I worked at Weber Mandolins. This was back in 2008, 2009, 2010 in that, in that area. And when I saw the amount of handiwork that went into an F-style mandolin, and then I looked at the price of an F-style mandolin, all of a sudden, it made a lot of sense. You know, when you look at mandolins, I, I know this is a little bit of a, a step aside from the guitar arena, but if you look at mandolins, you have an A shape, which looks like a teardrop, and then you have an F shape, which is fancy. It's got that scroll on it. And you look at the price, they are oftentimes thousands of dollars in difference. There's, there's a thousand dollar or more difference between the two. And a lot of that is because the extra work that goes into an F-style mandolin. There's more sanding. The binding is more intricate. The finishing is more intricate. There's so many pieces to the puzzle. And when you look at the price of a guitar, you have to see, you know, does it have inlay? Are the braces hand scalloped? Is the neck hand carved? These are all pieces of the puzzle that will impact the price, right? So craftsmanship is huge. Some guitars come off of a factory line. You know, think, uh, you know, I'm not picking on any brands here, but think of like Epiphone, some of their entry-level guitars. Think of Fender, some of their entry-level guitars. Think of, uh, well, gosh, you know, I would say even Taylor to a, to a degree, some of their entry-level guitars. Quite honestly, a lot of the entry-level guitars come directly off of a factory line. Whereas you look at, you know, Custom Shop Martins, Custom Shop Callings, Thompson Guitars, etc. there's a lot more handiwork. Hence, the price reflects that. Another factor that is involved, this is a big one and a controversial one, and I'm gonna call out a brand for this. I'm actually gonna call out two brands for this. And I'm not doing so in a negative way. I just feel that these two brands flex this muscle a lot, maybe more than necessary. Okay, so the next factor that goes into pricing of guitars is scarcity. And what I'm gonna be specifically citing here is manufactured scarcity. What does that mean? Well, you've seen, and I'll just name the brands right now, Gibson and Martin, you've seen them released, release, <laughs> you've seen them release artist models. Okay, and oftentimes these artist models are limited. And with that limitation comes inflation in price. It's simple scarcity. There's only a certain amount. So in essence, they can charge whatever they want. And is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Let's not define it. It's just a thing. It's just something to be aware of. And I recently came across this, and I'll tell you just a little bit of a, a story here. I have been lusting after a Johnny Winter Firebird. 
They, they have, there's two of them that have been released. The most recent one is a, is a white one. And it's, uh, that particular run has been limited to 124 guitars. And the price certainly reflects that. It, granted, it's a custom shop, Gibson Firebird. It goes for around eight grand. And I've looked at actual vintage Firebirds that are in a similar price category. And then I've looked at new Firebirds that mimic the same specs that are far lower in price. And this is what I'm talking about with manufactured scarcity. They've decided to only make 124 of these guitars. Could they make more? Probably. But the more that they make, the more accessible that they become, and the more accessible that they become, that means the price will then be lower. Now, this is not just Gibson, although I would say Gibson flexes this muscle quite a bit. Uh, Martin does this as well. Now, there's a certain amount of nostalgia and lust that goes into this. And I am certainly not, uh, um, I am affected by it just as much as probably you are. So I think that plays into the price. And the question you have to ask yourself is, is that worth it to you? Okay, so again, I don't, I'm, I'm very wary of saying, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? What I'm saying is, it's a thing. And it's something that we need to be aware of that is factored into the price. So if limited runs are your bag, more power to you. If limited runs are not your bag, that's okay too. Okay, it's just, it's just a thing. And again, I want this to be more of a discussion. You know, I had like, oh, I'm gonna present this as this list. And, and then I thought, you know, as I'm going through it, there's so many factors here. I want you to chime in in the comments. If any of these things resonate with you or ring a bell of a scenario that you ran into, let me know in the comments below. Let all your guitar geeks know in the comments below. What I'm hoping here is that we look at these, these price factors and it will help you as a guitar buyer decide what is right for you, knowing all the things that go into pricing guitars. Okay, next piece of uh, uh, pricing influence here is collectability. And this kind of goes with what I just spoke about, but there's, there's kind of that manufactured scarcity, manufactured collectability, and then in essence, true collectability. And I'm talking like, uh, what did I write down here in terms of, oh, oh, I kind of want to define collectability as nostalgia combined with limited availability. Now, I want to specifically cite vintage guitars here because there are no new guitars being made from 1964. It's impossible unless you own a time machine, unless you're Marty McFly hanging out with the wizard scientist guys, zipping around, going back to the future, back to back in time, whatever that movie is. Um, so yes, there is actual collectability due to limited supply because again, there's no new guitars coming from 1964. There's no new guitars coming from 1926. They simply are what they are. So in essence, those limited quantities will be reflected in the price which brings me to the next piece. And I feel like these, these uh, the last three pieces, including this one that, I've, that, I, that I'll be speaking about, really kind of all uh, are intertwined. And the next factor is historical significance. And I'm talking, I made a list, pre-war Martins. I'm talking Montana-made Weber mandolins. I'm talking pre-CBS Fender, uh, Westerly Rhode Island Guilds, among many other celebrated 
historical time periods for various guitars, for various guitar manufacturers. You will pay a premium for a pre-war Martin guitar. Why? Because pre-war Martin guitars are awesome. There are no new pre-war Martin guitars being made. There's not gonna be a new 1935 Herringbone Dreadnought made. There just simply won't be. Now I know there's the pre-war guitar company. That's a whole different can of worms. But what I'm saying is not only is the guitar of vintage, not only is it collectible because of the limited quantity, it's a celebrated time period. So that's kind of a trifecta, a perfect storm when it comes to pricing, which is why you'll see pre-war Martin guitars go for upwards of $75,000, $100,000. Yeah, I, the, the, there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle there. Um, and then a, a final factor, and I'm sure there's more. And again, I want you to comment uh, down below and let me know what other factors that you've seen drive the price of a guitar. Okay, I think we're, we're kind of on the bubble here when it comes to the guitar market. I actually will hypothesize that prices will start coming down. I'm thinking that that's just me waxing poetic here. What is that, Phil, Phil, being philosophical? I'm not entirely sure that's the direction things are going, but I do feel that the used market is going to flip to a buyer's market because quite simply, we're seeing more and more guitars pop up. And with more guitars, prices come down. This isn't an economy, economics class. This is a guitar show. Uh, okay, the final factor is uh, artist association or endorsement. And I wanna cite something from the electric guitar world. Jack White decided when he was in the White Stripes to play, I think it was a Valco National Airline guitar. Red and white looked like the United States of America. Before he picked it up and kind of hit the skyrocket to, to fame, those guitars weren't going for all that much, maybe three to $500. Once he made it popular, the price of that guitar skyrocketed because of his quote unquote endorsement or association mixed with the collectability factor, mixed with the fact that it's vintage, mixed with the fact that there's a limited amount of them available. So yes, artist association association and endorsement does play a huge role. And some other, some other pieces of that puzzle, some other guitars that I wanna cite, uh, the John Mayer OM, the Martin OM JM, the Eric Clapton Triple O 28, which is a dynamite guitar, by the way. That's the Triple O 28 EC. Uh, the Leo Kotke 12 string from Taylor, which is no longer in production. And then uh, I just threw another one on here, the James Taylor Olsen guitar, the James Taylor Artist Edition, which is of limited quantity and it has that artist endorsement. So with that will come a higher price. So what's the moral of the story? <laughs> the moral of the story here is when you're looking at guitars and you scoff at the price or the price takes your breath away or you kind of have that cockeyed look when you look at the price and you're like, oh, eight grand for, for that guitar? I want you to ask why. Look at the materials it's made of. Look at the brand, look at how it was made. Are there a limited number? Is this endorsed by an artist? There's so many factors that go into pricing. I think it begs the question, or rather it, it begs the action that instead of scoffing at the price and saying, too expensive, we ask why. We dig a little bit deeper, right? Because we could find that, you know what, that price is actually justified. Or we could find that that price is not really justified in my opinion. So what's my advice to you? 
My advice to you as a guitar buyer is to not separate gar guitar gars, guitars into expensive and not expensive. I want you to look at guitars on a spectrum and more importantly, know what's valuable to you. There's so many different buyer profiles. You've got players, you've got beginners, you've got collectors, right? You have all these different buyer profiles. That's just a few of them. And each buyer profile, there's a set of criteria, things that are important. Uh, think of it as a, a list of priorities, if you will. For a collector, they're looking for limited run guitars. They're looking for guitars that are scarce, whether that's manufactured scarcity or true vintage scarcity. When you're looking at a player and a player's criteria, they could be looking for a vintage guitar, but they want a player grade vintage guitar. So a vintage guitar that's been beat up. It's still limited, it's still scarce, but they're not afraid to take it to a gig because, well, it's already got its dings, dents, scratches, etc. Or you might be looking at a beginner or, or somebody just looking to get into the guitar for the first time or maybe their second go around. And they're just looking for a good guitar at a good price. Those are three very different scenarios. So rather than treating guitars as expensive and not expensive, let's actually look at what goes into the price and determine what's valuable to you. What do you value from a guitar? Uh, this may be something you already know, but it's something that, you know, I wanted all of us guitar geeks to gather around and again, discuss. So in the comments below, I've got a few, a few questions for you. Uh, what's the most important thing for you as a guitar purchaser? What do you value? And more importantly, why? Let me know in the comments below. I think it will help uh, other guitar geeks flesh out what they actually value when it comes to uh, purchasing a guitar. Do you value uh, the resale value or the potential resale value of the guitar? Do you value collectability? Do you value just quite simply how it sounds? Um, and then also, what else do you think factors into the price? You know, I made my list and kind of went on a few tangents, but if there's other factors that you know of that go into the price of a guitar, again, put those in the comments below. This is more of a discussion than it is me saying, this is the list. I want us all to work together because there are so many things that influence the price of guitars. And it's also quite flexible. It kind of goes with the market. And, and you can see that on Reverb, they actually have a cool little graph. You can see the, the price of certain guitars and when they've gone up, when they've gone down, etc. Kind of interesting and something that, you know, it's a new year. Uh, we got a lot of new guitar players in the fold. And if you're not within the guitar world, you could look at prices and be like, what did I get myself into? So I just wanted to bring that to light. Now it's time for your first dose of acoustic news you can use. And kicking things off, we have a guitar comparison to end all guitar comparisons. I wanna pull this up for you. This is from the Music Emporium. They compared a new 00028 Custom Authentic versus a 1938 0028. Both guitars are from Martin. One is brand new, sharing the same specs as the vintage one they pitted it up against. I thought this was beyond cool because this is a very apples to apples, new to vintage comparison. And here's how the two guitars sound.
I've been getting into pedals a lot lately, delay pedals, reverb pedals, all sorts of things on my acoustic guitar. To some, that's absolute heresy. To some, it's a really cool, creative avenue to explore. Whatever the case may be, I have to share an enormous thanks. I have to share an enormous debt of gratitude to Emily Hopkins. Emily Hopkins is a harp player, and she, <laughs> she does the best, most entertaining educational demos that I've ever seen on pedals. There are a plethora of guitar pedal channels on YouTube, and a lot of them are guitarists demoing guitar pedals, and they do a great job. Emily does the best job and she doesn't even use a guitar. She uses a harp and that's exactly why I like her pedal reviews. You're an acoustic guitarist. I'm an acoustic guitarist. I wanna know how the pedal handles an acoustic instrument. Emily puts the pedals through a harp. I've said that 30 or so times at this point and it's the best way to look at a pedal objectively because you have a true acoustic instrument representing damn near the entire frequency range. So you can see how the pedals react. You can see how they function with an acoustic instrument. I've used a ton of her reviews as inspiration and the push over the cliff I need to pick up uh, some pedals. So just so you get a sample, here's a quick review that Emily did. And I think you'll see what I mean about them being entertaining and incredibly informative. Here's Emily. So this is um, Petrichor from Polar Bear FX. It's a lo-fi delay pedal and a sequencer, um, but you can use it as both. You can use it as just a lo-fi delay, or you can use it as just a sequencer. You like it? I really like it. At this point, I have so many lo-fi delay pedals, and at some point it's like, well, what else? Like, what else can they make? This is what they can make. Like, I don't have another pedal that can do what Petrichor does which is crazy because we have so many pedals. <laughs> I really love the pedal art on Petrichor too. Like that's an amazing hairstyle. <laughs> I want it, honestly. <laughs> when you turn the delay down on Petrichor, um, you have just a sequencer. And if you turn the mix up, you get some really interesting sequencer sounds that kind of sound like your instrument is not there anymore. Um, so what I do is I add Drowner after it for some nice big crushy reverb sounds. Um, so I really love this combination. Okay, I've got some comments from the My Favorite Martin Guitars episode, which was episode 269. I wanna share these with you. One of them comes from a guitar snob and I'm still not sure I'm gonna feature it. Depends on how I feel. Might feel a little, a little, uh, a little spunky, a little saucy, a little spicy. 
some other S words, I'm sure. Uh, but first, go ahead and grab your guitar and let's see what the TAC family is working on today. Every single day within Tony's Acoustic Challenge, the TAC family focuses on one of five guitar skills. On Monday, it's a technique challenge. Tuesday's a guitar lick challenge. Wednesday's an improvisation challenge. Thursday's a rhythm guitar challenge. And Friday's a chord transition challenge. Today is Tuesday. The TAC family is working on a guitar lick. And here's what they're working on. Your Tuesday Tack Guitar Lick Challenge this week is entitled Fast Forward to honor the days of VHS tapes. Yes, indeed. In fact, all of the challenges this week within Tack honor the VHS era in one way, shape, or form. You've got, you've got Be Kind, Rewind, you've got Fast Forward, you've got Blockbuster. There's a couple of other ones thrown in there as well. But most importantly, the musical theme this week within TAC is playing adjacent strings finger style, meaning playing sets of three strings that are right next to one another with your thumb, index, and middle finger. I think the common misconception is if you're playing finger style, it's gotta be incredibly complicated and all over the place. That's just not the case. You can use three fingers on strings right next to one another to still get wonderful sounds out of your instrument. And I think this lick is a great example. Let me go ahead and play it for you. And then a little bit later on, I'm gonna show you a couple different uses and modifications of this lick to really make it super bluesy. Here's how it sounds. You can hear the dissonance there, and that's part of the, that's really one of the key characteristics of this lick. And that's something we're really gonna drive home when I show you the modifications. And for those of you wanting to learn this note for note, TAC fam, all you have to do is sign in. This is your daily challenge. Go ahead and click start challenge. That'll take you right to the teaching video. Once you get it under your fingers, you can then move to the play along video. Pick a speed that's comfortable for you. Click that tab icon in the lower right hand corner. That'll allow you to pull the video up right next to the tab. So you can have both things right there and you can really drive this lick home. Get it under your fingers and make it a, a useful part of your your guitar playing. Speaking of making it a useful part of your guitar playing, how do you actually use this? Well, it's actually a great kickoff to any blues song in the key of E. Let me show you how it sits as a kickoff so you can kind of place it musically. Here's how that sounds. So as you can tell, it's a great way to kind of dissonantly kick off a song. I don't even know if that's a word, dissonantly. It's a great way to use dissonance to catch the listener's ear and kick off a blues song. In fact, speaking of dissonance, that's where we get into the modification of the lick. I'm gonna go ahead and use this lick in a way that repeats just the first portion. We're gonna play a basic finger style blues pattern, again, using adjacent strings, strings that are right next to one another. And I'm gonna use this lick and I'm gonna use that dissonant portion, this, this part right here, the part that's a little unsettling. I'm gonna use that repeatedly to make it really unsettling and then resolve it with a basic blues progression. Here's how that would sound.
you actually got a couple different looks at it there. I used that, this portion here, to really drive home the dissonance, and then I used that, the ending portion of the lick as I played it before, as kind of a way to get back to the shuffle. It works great as an ending as well. If you wanna use it that way, all you have to do is, well, finish the lick and don't go back into any chord progression whatsoever. It's a great little descending blues lick, and I think, I think the real standout characteristic of it, as I mentioned before, is dissonance. Something that is a little, a little bit uncomfortable to the ear, but then it resolves. And that's kind of a, um, I guess it's a characteristic of the blues in general, but certainly of this particular lick. I want to mention something uh, right before we get back to the show, and that's as you know, as you and that is as you sit down to play the guitar, you might be trying something new. Uh, in this case, maybe fingerstyle's brand new to you. That's a great thing. Maybe it's something that you never thought you would do, and maybe you've kind of stayed away from it and been hesitant to try it because you feel like, gosh maybe I'm not good enough to try that style. Maybe I haven't played long enough to try that. I would, I would like you, I would encourage you to remove that thought process from your head, if you can, and think of it more as uh, an opportunity to immerse yourself in something new. Something that, gosh, might be a little bit scary and you might not get it right on the first try, especially if it's new, and that's completely okay. One of the things that immersion does in your guitar journey, it holds great power in your progress. The more you immerse yourself in things that are new to you, things that stretch your boundaries, things that push you into, push you out of your comfort zone, the better guitar player you will be. Immersion is an incredibly powerful thing. And one of the parallels I'd like to draw is learning a foreign language in a class and then learning a foreign language being in the country of that native language or being in the being in the country that that language is spoken that's immersion just kind of jumping in and learning things on the fly when i was in high school i took spanish and i could say very proper things in spanish when i was in high school and i actually went to cancun much later and quickly realized that the spanish i had learned in school was really hard to use when I was immersed in the culture and in the language, I was picking up things so much faster. That same concept applies to your guitar playing. Maybe a, a, a far stretch when it comes to the parallel I drew with language, but I think some things will resonate with you. And I think you'll notice the more you immerse yourself in guitar techniques, things that you want to learn, things that you hope to learn, the quicker they will come. Okay, let's check out some of these comments from episode 269, the My Favorite Martin Guitars episode. This first one comes from Lane Vine. He says this, Hey, Tony. Season's greetings from Swansea, South Wales. Hopefully I said that right. Thank you for another superb episode. The quality of content and production is only eclipsed by your infectious enthusiasm for the joy of music. I wish this inspiration was available 40 years ago when I was in school or when our kids were in school. Thank you for your time and commitment. We in the community love being part of the fam. Happy holidays to all. Uh, Lane, thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for your kind words. And, um, you know, this show... This community wouldn't exist if it weren't for you, Lane, and, and everybody watching right now. Uh, so uh, thank you right back, uh, because this show would not continue on. I mean, here we are in episode 273. We're 273 episodes in. That is absolutely mind-boggling to me. Um, and, it's, and it's all because of you. So thank you. That's a long way of saying thank you. So I just wanted to thank you for watching. Should I say thank you a couple more times? What do you think? said a lot of thank yous there. Uh, the, 
<laughs> Next comment comes from Jimmy Franklin. You know, in that Martin Guitars episode, I noted that my favorite Martin guitar, period, the number one spot was the CEO 7, which brought out a Martin CEO 7 love fest. A lot of CEO 7 owners that watch the Acoustic Tuesday show, one of which is Jimmy Franklin. He says this, CEO 7, great choice. I've always said that the best Gibson I've heard was a Martin CEO 7. A few years ago, Chris Martin made an appearance at a local shop. There was a Q&A after. I raised my hand and said, no question, just wanted to say thanks for the CEO 7. Very cool stuff. And um, yeah, what a hell of a guitar. Just a hell of a guitar. Uh, next comment from, fums come. <laughs> the next comment comes from Claudia Morrow. Holy cow, I'm, I'm hitting the wall. I'm hitting the wall, everybody. Uh, she says, I have an LX1 that is my dearest pal. Pal, oh, wow. I have an LX1 that is my dearest pal. A K&K pickup with Fishman Loudbox, and believe it or not, a Strymon Big Sky is about as much fun as possible. Also, an MXR carbon copy, both pedals. Um, I live in a tough climate for guitars, so even though I have far more expensive Martins, they are always cased and humidified. The LX1 is always out and within reach, though, so it gets played the most. Great little guitar and a good friend. Awesome stuff. You know, the LX1 gets a lot of shade thrown at it, but it's a very useful guitar. And again, this kind of goes into what I was speaking about earlier, and it's whatever you value as a guitar player. It's not quite simply as, you know, it's it's not an easy breakdown like expensive, not expensive, uh, all solid wood, not, not all solid wood. It really matters what you are looking for. And I think that Claudia said it best, you know, her LX1 is always there because her other guitars are cased and humidified, so it gets a ton of playing time. So I think I think it's important to factor that in. Okay, I'll stop talking about it now. Okay, um, okay, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna talk about the guitar snob that made um, made his or her way into the comments. I'm gonna read these comments in succession, and I may interject some answers. Uh, so these come from Yump Fu. That might be, I might have just said something bad. I don't know. That's the screen name. Uh, so I'll only say it once. Now, there are some um, curse words that I will omit here because they're not necessary. Uh, I'm not saying I don't swear. I'm just saying that for the sake of the greater guitar community, let's just not do that right now. Let's not do that in the comments. So here's what this individual has to say. Martin fanboys need to surrender to what China is producing with their solid body guitars. Lower to mid-range Martins pale in comparison to similar Chinese-built guitars. Okay, that's not so bad. Um, Martin fanboys, yeah, I, I guess I could call myself one of them. Love Martin guitars, love Taylor guitars, love Gibson guitars, love lots of different manufacturers. So if that, that makes me a Martin fanboy, I'll proudly wear that. Um, and yeah, I think China's producing some great guitars. It just depends on what you like, really. Uh, next comment. The Martin D18 sucks blank compared to a Gibson J45. Uh, gotta I gotta take issue with this comment because those are two different guitars. The Martin D18 is a square shoulder, long scale dreadnought. The J45 is a short scale, slope shoulder dreadnought. So apples to oranges there, can't really compare the two. Uh, next comment, why don't you mention anything about forward slash middle slash rear top bracing? Um, I actually did uh, 10 years ago. I did a video breakdown of the sound differences between forward shifted standard placement and rear shifted bracing. Uh, in fact, um, 
yeah, I did it with the acoustic letter. I didn't even have any hair at the point. Uh, here's just a quick clip from that video. We're gonna look at Martin's bracing placement. Not pattern, but placement. What I'm referring to is the placement of the cross and the X brace on the top of the guitar. There's three different placements. We have forward shifted, standard placement, and rear shifted. Okay, there's only two more comments from this guitar snob. Um, I just, I wanted, to, I wanted to highlight this, not to shed, shed light on negative comments, but I just wanted to kind of make it clear that there's really no room for guitar snobbery on this channel or out in the world. So just don't, just don't. You can have your opinions, but express them respectfully and kindly. You don't have to, you know, there's no right or wrong, okay? This is just different opinions where different guitar players were allowed to like other gear without fear that somebody else is gonna judge us. There's enough judgment out there. So can we just, can we just all get along? I would say 99.9% .9 of the folks watching the show are pretty awesome stewards of the guitar geek, um, uh, uh, they're pretty awesome stewards of the guitar geek philosophy. Uh, there's very few exceptions. This is definitely one of them. Um, next comment, jabs at Gibson? Laughable. Only a Martin fanboy would make such a claim. CEO, chief executive officer, says enough about capitalism to me. Um, Gibson has a CEO. Martin has a CEO. Taylor has a CEO. Eastman has a CEO. Those were the lower uh, the the chinese produced guitars that you referenced earlier so i'm not quite sure what that comment means i mean these are these are companies that have a leader that oversees oversees what's happening i don't know even what to say about that and the final comment and dude that hockey jersey is pathetic i prefer the baseball cap by the way i'm loathing the slap top guitar strumming it's not a blanking drum. Uh, again, there's different ways to play the guitar. Uh, my job is to express all those different ways and show guitar geeks so that they can make a decision for themselves. It sounds like you don't like it. And that's okay, just don't, you don't have to listen to it. It's fine. And in regards to the hockey jersey, um, I don't know, do you, want, do you want me to call you before I get dressed in the morning? Uh, maybe we can pick out a baseball cap together. Um, really, I really love hockey jerseys. I'm not going to stop wearing them. I like baseball hats too. Um, but I don't, I don't wear them on the show because the light doesn't hit my face. And I got a hard enough time looking decent. So I don't want to look any uglier than I am. So I don't wear a hat on the show. Sorry that my fashion sense doesn't align with your expectations. Anyways, all in good fun. All in good fun. I, I, um... Yeah, anyways, I'll just l let that be what it is. The next positive comment comes from Jeff. I've owned the CEO 7 for three years. I preferred Taylor for several years. Just an opinion. The CEO 7 is the best guitar that I've played. Jeff, I, I agree with you. There's some players that don't, but I certainly agree with you. And there's a lot, of, again, CEO 7 love. So uh, congrats on your guitar, and I'm, I'm glad you dig it. Final comment comes from Camera Law. A review of yours convinced me. Bleh, a review of yours convinced me to get a triple O fifteen SM. Light as a feather, twelve fret, slotted headstock, dust bowl vibe, honest sound, and I got it from Music Villa. Couldn't be happy. Couldn't be happier. Named her Brown Sugar. Let's just add her to the list for an even dozen. John Washburn replies, "I agree. Big omission on my uh, on my end. The fifteen series. There was not a single fifteen series guitar." 
on my list of my favorite Martins, and there needed to be. And the 00015 SM is the is the one that needed to be on there. So I, I agree. And that's not me, you know, just trying to be all uh, diplomatic, including a bunch of guitars. But that was a huge oversight on my end. I apologize. The 15 series is a damn good series. And a lot of bang for the buck there. Really, a lot of bang for the buck. Okay, uh, final dose of acoustic news you can use. And... Um, I've just got two things for you. I know this episode's running long. I, I appreciate you hanging out with me. Sometimes I just get excited about this stuff and I just wanna hang with you all day. Um, and that usually leads to like a 45 minute or an hour episode. Uh, it's okay to sprinkle those in every now and again. Okay, your first, <laughs> the first thing I wanna share with you is some, it's some modern finger style percussive guitar. Uh, what can I say? I love it. I think it's amazing that artists can conceptualize not only the melodic element, but the bass element and the percussive element on a single instrument. Um, it might not be for you, but it does not mean it is truly awesome. It, it, you look at it in awe. It, it's it's truly amazing. Uh, new artist to me, Nick Johnson. Uh, he's going to perform the song Suicidal Ideation here. And um, special note, he actually puts the... Um, I'm not sure of the background of the song. The name definitely was a little jarring to me, but in the in the um, information, or rather the description of the video, he does put the number to the uh, suicide hotline. So it seems like maybe he has either known somebody or experienced some of these things himself and just wants to help other folks by bringing awareness to there being avenues out there if you're looking for some help. But and nonetheless, this is Nick Johnson playing the song Suicidal Ideation. Fun facts, two of them. Uh, Steven Strom is the person who built the guitar he's playing. Thing sounds incredible. And who engineered this recording? Another outstanding modern percussive fingerstyle guitar player, Antoine DeFore. Without further ado, here's Nick Johnson playing Suicidal Ideation. Finally, the one-man orchestra I referred to at the beginning of the show. Chris Thiele is, he is a musician that operates on a different plane. If you're unfamiliar, Chris Thiele's a mandolin player, and he's far more than just a mandolin player. I would refer to him as a composer. I would refer to him as an arranger. I would refer to him as a, a, a true musical master always learning, always pushing, going into areas that <laughs> I don't even consider sometimes. I mean, he is just, he is on it. And every day I feel like he, he is somebody that definitely plays every day. And he is somebody that definitely progresses day after day after day after day. Anyways, it, he does something here in this video I'm about to show you that blows my mind. It breaks my brain. I look at this and my brain is pure pretzel after seeing this. He is getting ready to play with an orchestra. He may very well have already done this, likely has. And he is playing a violin concerto. I believe that's correct. And, and there's two parts, right? There's the part he's gonna play and then the other part that someone else is gonna play on a violin. And rather than have just a recording going, 
he's singing the other part while playing his part. I feel like this is like trying to pat your head and rub your tummy on steroids. This is something that I cannot comprehend how one does this. Uh, and I wanted you to see it because it's just plain inspiring. It's just plain inspiring. So here's Chris Thiele doing Chris Thiele things. <laughs> beautiful harmonized notes. I think it's a great time to wrap up the Acoustic Tuesday show for today. But first, yes, we're going to take a sneak peek into next week. And next week, we're going to talk about the key to learning new songs and learning them fast, specifically with the five guitar skills I reference every time I talk about the TAC family and every single time I share with you what they're working on throughout the week, I cite these five guitar skills. Well, next week on the show, I'm gonna break down what those five guitar skills are and I'm gonna use a very popular song as the, uh, the guinea pig so we can see how those five skills lay out. So make sure to have your guitar tuned up and ready next week. And remember, you can catch the Acoustic Tuesday show every single Tuesday at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. I just wanna say one thing before I leave you today. Your guitar success, however you define it, is directly related to your guitar routine. So please invest the time in developing your guitar routine and make sure to have fun every single day that you play. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me today. Thank you for being a guitar geek and I'll see you next Tuesday on the Acoustic Tuesday Show. Cheers, guitar geeks unite. 